Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today, with D.B. Morgan, award-winning film director and founder of Underdog Studios. We're joined to talk all things business and, of course, film. Hi, Dom. Welcome to the Innovation Conversation. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, guys. Pleasure to be here. Um, something I've been looking forward to for quite some time, to finally get in a room with you, or virtually. Yeah. And um, I hope your microphones pick up my voice that's um, very gravelly, I'm told. So um, if your mic can deal with me, let's crack on. <laughs> All right. Um, should, I don't know. Do, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of just tell tell them a little bit about yourself, about what you do in the underdog crew and, and all that? Wow. Talk about chuck a man on the spot. Okay. So um, <clears throat> my name's Dominic Morgan. I'm professionally known as DB Morgan. I'm a multi-award filmmaker, multi-award winning filmmaker. I've written and produced three feature films, directed two feature films. Um, I basically, I class myself as the underdog filmmaker. And this is because I am a, I'm autistic. I'm a mental health survivor. I have PTSD. I suffer with acute anxiety and like, thousands of people do and I don't let that pigeonhole me or do I let it define me and I crack on and do what I do and a major part of what I do is we bring in similar teenagers who are going through the same situation whether that be family backgrounds mental health issues uh, marginalization and we bring them into real world filmmaking environments to just use that magic of film to really instill some positivity and um, well-being into them. Ooh, nice. Thank that's, you. That's um, me. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's, a, it's a lot for the introduction. Thank you. We'll be quite Take two. Hi, I'm Dom. Over to you. <laughs> no, that's a lot better, actually, because it, it gives our, I think it gives our listeners and viewers a lot more to, to take on um, and a lot, a lot of information as well, because everyone kind of thinks at least you know, I think most people try to think that, well, yeah, it's very easy. We just have a business and, you know, that person running the business is absolutely perfect. But actually nowadays, I don't know if you think the same way, Harry, but a lot of people are actually putting themselves out there and talking about their vulnerabilities, their, their you know, the things that afflict them in a way. And that's super positive because it kind of breaks on the barrier saying, hey, I need to be perfect to do something. Actually, you don't. And a lot of very successful people like yourself are extremely successful, even though, they have something that kind of sets them back every once in a while, but they fight through. So it's super insightful to have this, this type of information. Thank you. I think it's one of those things that I kind of, as we all do in our formative years, we're very insecure about finding ourselves. And yeah. it's something that I always used to hide away from. And I don't think it's till I actually embraced it and, and said, you know what, so what? You know, we've all got plasters and scars and mental health is such a thing that people don't. I mean, luckily, people are talking about it more now. And when yeah. I was at school in the 80s, you know, there was no such thing as ADHD or, you know, it just wasn't discussed. I was just a naughty child, but um, <laughs> I was full of creativity and, you know, I wanted to be the next Spielberg. And, you know, and I kind of fell out of the the education system because I'm neurodiverse, you know, I'm non-neurotypical. And um, I love the fact now I'm getting to kind of inspire new kids in the modern world 
you know, it's like, you know what, let this wear that. So what? Don't let it define you. And um, we've I've met some incredible people along the way, and and then we're now on to the next stage of our adventure. Yeah, going to the next stage of your adventure, Dom. It's I've heard you're setting up a charity at the moment and taking all of your learnings over the last fifteen years in film and uh, again award-winning films and turning it into an actual business model charity, CIC. It'd be really good to see what your long-term plans are for this and and how you kind of adjusted from what you're doing in regards to filming independently and taking all these kids to working with you, giving them on-set experience and really growing something that has a passion and a meaning and and real, you know, supporting aspects across the Colchester community? I think because everything was kind of self-funded, everything was on a very small level. My first short film that I actually won an MTV competition for, I knew that was what I wanted to do. We had a couple of these young lads working with us and um, I didn't even have a name for it then. They were just, come on, I'll let me show you a bit of positivity and over the past 10 years it's kind of grown in structure and it's become more of a formulated experience where we've gathered especially over the last couple of years we've been gathering some really good support and champions of what we're doing to the extent now where we've just set up a, a CIC community interest company and we're about to launch our first teenage film studio in Colchester City so that to me I mean that's exciting you know where We've got our own film studio, like, let's play. <laughs> you know, that's that's epic. That's exciting. And then how have you found raising funding so far for, for the charity? Have you really gone and found it quite easy, quite difficult? Have you taken advantage of any upcoming accelerators, you know, either social accelerators or, or other funding routes through the, the National Lottery? How, how have you found working with those individuals? Have you found it quite easy, challenging, rewarding? Or what's your what's your take on that? I made a decision very early on to, I mean, as part of my condition, I suffer with imposter syndrome hugely. So at the first, I was like, no, I could never get grant funding. I've, you know, I, I haven't been to uni. I haven't got this, you know, I barely made it through school. You know, I, I self-trained myself. And so I kind of self-funded it all myself. And then it was about a year and a half ago, I suddenly thought to myself, blimey, we've got something seriously big going on here. And and why not? Why not test the water now with our first official application, which we won. We got um, Essex County Council Cultural Fund gave us our first grant, and then it kind of you you learn how to. I mean, I'm I'm a creative, and I've got this jumble of everything in my head. So when obviously when it comes to suddenly having to put everything down on paper, it's a very it's a lot more of an educational process of putting everything down in writing and. And that's really good. And then from there, you get the development plan, the business plan, the the, the kind of the five-year plan and bringing a few people in to help with the funding process. We now find ourselves on the back of our third substantial grant, which has enabled us to set up and run the studio for the first you know year and a half. So I think it's a matter of, it's knowing that we always had this amazing concept, proving it first, developing reams of outcomes over the past 10 years like on my website we've got so many written testimonials video testimonials we've got some incredible links with um where the culture institute media department have been sending some of their kids that need a little work push to me and and I, I suddenly thought blimey where's all this come from and you kind of get lost in the, the passion and the creativity and then sit back and think wow I'm doing something really cool Everyone should be doing this. And then I've realized they're not. So I thought, okay, well, let's do it. And 
You know, we're just round the corner now from the birth of the first Underdog Crew Studios. Well done. But how did you find like navigating the process? Because I think a lot of people that, that suffer with, with those type of conditions. Uh, by the way, I also have ADHD, uh, quite new to me. I have this whole thing. But um, how, how, do you, how do you found like dealing with all these processes and stuff like that? Because for me, I think it's an absolute nightmare. So everything that is very process, process driven, I just normally back away from. And, you know, hearing you and what you've done and, you know, all the, the grants and funds you got for your company and for Underdog Studios, it's really quite impressive. So how do you navigate through all this? How do you manage, like, to go from A to Z without, you know, losing momentum? Because I think a lot of people have that, right? At least I do. When I'm, it's easy to get started, but it's really easy to drop off out of something. So, you know, what tips do you have for, for people listening to this? Well, I mean, from my point of view, I think the most important thing is to start off by taking a really good, hard, long look at yourself and really recognizing your weaknesses. I know my strengths. I'm a creative. I'm a screenwriter. Everything I've done has come from being a writer. Now, that is a vital part of everything, a part of the process of filmmaking. Everything starts with a good story. So I've always known that that part, I'm good. I've studied it for many, many years. I've done many courses in London. So I know the creative side, the graphic design side and the all that kind of flowery stuff I've got ticked. So then obviously the most important thing, I need some business heads. So right. it's all a matter. It's the same with everything, really. You gather your team. You know, mm -hmm. I, I came, I was a chef, you know, that was my original background. <clears throat> so I kind of, all chefing has always been my analogy. You know, if, if one... If one head chef is going to jump in a kitchen and take on a service of 100 people, you're going to fail because you need your, your sous chef, your commie, your line chefs, your washer-upper, your waitresses, your, and all of them are dedicated skill sets. Where um, So it's just building a good team of people that believe in you. And some of them, everyone always said, you know, oh, I like the idea. What you got to show me? And like 10 years ago, it's like, well, not a lot, really. I've got a good idea. And like, and now it's just like, I think it's got to the point where we've got so much armory and so many positive outcomes. Um, I mean, not one teenager that's come to us hasn't benefited hugely from being part of what we're doing, you know, and some of the kids we've worked with have been really, really troubled, you know, and some of them on the verge of like real suicidal thoughts. And you just, we like the idea of working with people long-term. And I, I always name drop Joe because he's kind of, Joe Allison's our underdog crew champion of last year. Okay. And he came as a recommendation through the Culture Institute. Mm -hmm. And he had some severe physical problems, which escalated into some mental health problems and a real breakdown. And I've been working with Joe almost like as, as a person that we recognize has got so much creative potential, but obviously needed confidence and mm -hmm. guidance. And we just, we've worked with him now throughout all three of my films and we've just championed him he's he's just produced and directed his second music video and he's oh. an integral part of the underdog crew and he's now becoming a mentor for the mm -hmm. new studio and um that's kind of that's the kind of plan we want to do is you're paying it forward you know there has to be my my two kind of keywords are all equal and paying mm -hmm. it forward you know yeah. and then so we don't want to have somebody working with us for a year or two and then going off whatever they do in their adult lives, I want them to be coming back and talking to their students regularly and, and meeting with them and paying for their own positive experiences and saying, look, this is where I started. This is where I am now. I don't care what people tell you and what you can't do. Everyone does that. 
let's focus on what we can do. And I've probably gone completely off a tangent. So I'll say, what was the question again? <laughs> That's, that's, uh, I, I, I don't know, but <laughs> I completely forgot about it. But um, I'm sure people listening can just go back and just, you know, 15 second button to just go back. Um, but I was, just, I was thinking like a million more questions just popped in my mind. But ultimately, you mentioned something that I, I you know, truly be believe in, which is just paying it forward, right? Mm -hmm. Someone does something good for you and you go out and you help someone else down the ladder, just moving up the ladder. And it's such an interesting concept to talk about because I think a lot of people don't realize that actually if you ask for help most people are actually willing to to you know lend you a hand uh, as such and yeah i think it just builds a good community around you so was this something that you've always done in your professional life or is it something that you thought you know what i'm just going to build a, a community around me of people that are willing to grow at the same time because ultimately that's what's happening right i think so i mean like, like now i remember where we're going it's about building the team and the chefing analogy so yeah that's exactly what i did i thought well you know, who do I need to help take it to this? We all grow together, especially in the creative industry. You're always moving forward and you're always you're always looking for your next project and you've, everyone's got their own end goal. You know, for me, it's about working with like-minded people that really believe in what I'm doing, that ideally have their own experiences of mental health and and that kind of thing. And we and we all build together with what we've got. Like like running a kitchen, like building a house. You know, the builders are in. We've got the perfect foundations now. And then all the specialists come in, they get involved. And hopefully somewhere along the way, you've got a great roof on the top and there's something ready to move into. You know, no matter what your skill set is, you, you need other people to come in and offer their own skill sets on the business side of things. And that's, so it is, it's collaboration. Maybe, do you know, what? I could have just saved 10 minutes and said, that's the key word is collaboration. <laughs> But how? So, so the, I think the question is, and even for us, because this is just our second episode, um, how do you get started? How do you find people who are interested in doing the same thing you are? I mean, I know you probably had a very broad network because you have been in the industry for quite some some. I mean, years I started now. with nothing. I had no contacts, nothing. Yeah, but, so, so how do you get started? Tell us that story, because I think for people listening, that's going to be super insightful. Just having that type of, you know, I have nothing, then I have something. So, how, how do you get started with them? What's that Kevin Costner saying from Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. Yeah. And I think yeah, the, <laughs> the film industry in itself is, mm -hmm. is very fickle and it's very much based on the Empress New Clothes, yeah? yeah? So, for example, this is what most filmmakers do. You'll come up with a fantastic idea. You'll mm -hmm. make a poster. You'll put it up on, the, on your website with a log line about what this film's going to be. And you'll yeah. declare to the world, next year we are making this movie. Mm -hmm. You haven't got a pot to do anything in you've yeah. got no resources you've got no background but what it comes down to i think is the power of self-promotion mm -hmm. self-belief and having the having the tools to back it up with i mean i think that's the most important thing because no matter what you're doing in a professional level people are going to be analyzing you and critical crit, criticizing mm -hmm. and looking at you critically at every single level so you've got to, you've got to have the skills and or some some element of something about you to be marketable and then you just um, shout it from the rooftops because I think they say some of the most successful people, they're not the ones that are the best at what they do. They're the ones that have the most belief and never gave up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing. I mean, it's stability. They say you're only ever, you're so close. That when you feel you're so close to failure, that's sometimes when you're so close to success. Yeah. And by human nature, 
especially in this country, it's very easy for people to say, no, you can't do that. Go and get a real job. You know, <laughs> things like that. And I think it's, um, especially with the way the media industry is there, there are some really amazing media jobs and things have changed quite a lot. But it's just it's just building a base, building a platform, networking. I mean, huge amount of networking, going to filmmaking groups. I did a lot of training up at Rain Dance Film School in London. Mm-hmm. Met some people there, um, and I self funded my own short film because I'm having these meetings with people that are the same as me, and they're talking like, "Yeah, I'm going to make my first movie. It's going to cost two million, you know, and it's going to have such and such and blah 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 blah." And you know, and these people are still scratching around trying to make it. And I think you have to look at other people that have made. Obviously, I'm using the film industry now, yeah. where you you it's resources filmmaking. You think, well, that's not going to work. Look at some of the most amazing people that are pretty much like two people in one room. The early Tarantino stuff, um, yeah. and you build an incredible story where you can't afford fifty extras. You can't afford to, f- to feed five actors. Mm-hmm. But you, you have to be realistic in your confines and your expectations. And um, I think, so, I think there's an industry saying that if you want to go and make a million pound movie, go and make a 10,000 pound movie. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. You start, you it's sensible, right team, collaboration, small steps. Everything's a product, isn't it? Whichever way you do it, you, you release a test product and... I'm just thinking about like three film directors that just popped into my mind uh, that actually started like that. You mentioned Tarantino. That's one. I'm thinking a close friend of him, uh, Robert Rodriguez. He did uh, Dust to Dawn. The Rebel with Without him. a Clue, a book on my bookshelf. That's, that's... There you go. Uh, so, exactly. Yeah. So he started with absolutely nothing. I think his first budget was like $10,000 or something like that. And he took all his cast and crew to Mexico and just shot the whole thing. And it was a huge success. Then we can think about other movies, for example, because you know, I'm a big movie type of guy. Um, we can think about um, Clerks, that also had a very, very low budget. We can even talk about The Blair Witch Project, which came out in 1998. Have you ever watched that? Yeah, of yeah. course. Uh, paranormal yeah. Activity, anything with um, Shane Meadows, David Slade's early stuff. Exactly. So they, they started like with almost nothing, but they just <laughs> went out and, and did it. I think that's that's kind of the problem the most people struggle is, is is thinking, oh, I need A, B, and C, and it's going to take forever. It, it doesn't need to be that complicated, really. And, you know, I think the film industry, if you get a camera, get the, you know, a good idea, just go out and do it, and you're going to learn so much in the process that, you know... I think that's the difficulty of it. It's yeah. not as achievable as what people perceive, because mm-hmm. working in the areas of what Dom's been doing in regards to the creative area, it's one of the industries that are most in demand in the UK, and not many people can actually navigate that industry, because one... Yeah. It's incredibly hard to do unless you have significant amount of funding. But two, the UK, you know, economy or the way everything's set up, they're trying to encourage people to kind of go into that space. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I'm pretty sure Dom, you, you may have done this in the past, where you've actually looked at funding opportunities such as that of EIS for the filming aspects, where people can actually put money in, and if the film goes really, really well, they get, get rewarded. If it goes so badly, no matter what happens, there's an incentivized aspect where. If it fails, you get your full money back. So they're really trying to push it. Yet the key question I would like to ask you, Dom, is how are you seeing the Underdog Crew Studio fitting in with Colchester's film and creative boom? And do you see yourselves having a really big impact in that space, being centre point to help underrepresented youths, help individuals from uni, Colchester, you know, Colchester schools and other areas around there? Do you see yourself as that focal point to help them get and fill these, you know, possible twenty-seven thousand jobs in that region? Or in the UK economy? 
that's that's a big hope, isn't it? I think originally I, I hope elements of that, you know, and I think um, at the stage we are now and the conversations that we're having, I think the growing support to what we're doing. I mean, we're basically part of what we're doing is we're making Colchester's very own Biker Grove, you know, a youth TV series that's yeah. going to be involving so many different organisations and businesses shooting solely around Colchester, highlighting not only Colchester, the region, the people, but also real quite sensitive teen issues um, at a time, at the right time. I'd say, I think, yes, I mean, it's that's just one aspect of what we're doing. And I know there's so much enthusiasm and support for us to get this, the first episode out there to show people. And then obviously with the training elements of what we're doing with our vlogging studio, audio recording suite, uh, the film studio, <clears throat> we've also got a dedicated miniature sci-fi film studio, like the good old days of Blade Runner and Star Wars. Um, a weekly TV show, Underdog Crew TV, the kids are going to run themselves. Wow. So we're, we're teaching them everything from the ground up, from budgeting and scheduling to attaching talent to the, the full process with even having our own little micro Foley studio for all the after sound effects. Mm -hmm. So I think it's one of these things there. It's only going to grow in, in prestige and interest. It's, it's once we start putting out the output and showing people, that's where I think things are going to really explode and as people keep telling me, we've got some very good advisors and some really excellent champion supporters and financiers. Yeah. And they're all just so infused with getting this going because they can see the long-term potential in England's newest city. Definitely, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be really interested to find out more about the actual studio you're setting up from, from previous conversations before that we're having the podcast. You mentioned... Uh, you're looking at converting an old funeral home into the actual studio. That, that's quite an interesting take, taking something that's quite spooky and scary and actually putting a film twist on that. That'd be uh, quite interesting to elaborate and then kind of expanding on that slightly. How do you see yourselves becoming a little bit more independent from grants in the future? So you have your studio, you have individuals coming in, you're getting your reputation, you're kind of growing. How do you see yourself becoming you know, self-reliant or, or self-funding? That'd be really Quite interesting to see as as many charities in Essex, and I know you have a couple in Jaywick and more deprived area. They're so reliant on that funding. If the if the government suddenly comes to you and you know snaps their fingers and go, "Hey, it's a great idea, but we've no longer got funding for you," you know, how, yeah. how do you see yourself kind of ever evolving and growing and becoming independent? Well, part of our five year plan is to make sure that as quickly as possible we're performing accredited training. Then there will be lots of avenues where the government or different organisations will be paying us to conduct these training set modules alongside obviously people paying to use our studio facilities and so rather than having and obviously there'll be lots of or maybe not lots of opportunities but quite a lot of regular opportunities to um, earn money on based on what we're doing. I think it's a, it's a tricky one because my mindset at the moment is very much in that we need to help the people who need it most, who are the ones that actually don't really have much disposable income. Whilst at the other end, we want to have a system where we have a very strong revenue stream of where we're offering 10 different recognised training courses throughout the year 
that people, organisations and individuals pay to become part of. And um, that's obviously, that's the kind of initial aim to become self-sustainable within this model of the first studio that we've got, which we hope to outgrow within the first year and a half. Yeah, makes makes sense. But I think I think you're going to probably, and this is just, you know, me, me thinking a bit, bit out loud, but I think you're going to get to the stage where you build such a strong, um, you know, high talent type of crew that when you go out and try to sell the, their services to the market, the market's going to say, yes, we absolutely want to work with you. So you're going to have some revenue coming in that way. And then probably at the same time, you're also going to have revenue just from the courses, right? Because exactly. obviously, I mean, once you get the government, I mean, you already have some support from the government, but the government can support the the teaching of people who cannot afford the courses and people mm -hmm. who can't afford the courses, then they can just pay for the courses themselves, right? Exactly. I think it's that thing about being able to offer bursaries and under 100% scholarships mm -hmm. and having it means tested, which is what we're looking into at the moment. Yeah. It's that whole thing again about all equal. You know, we don't want to... We don't, we don't want to exclude anyone that needs it most, but obviously at the end of the day, we have to understand that CIC is, is there is a bridge between a business there and a charity, and yeah. we need to very soon find where we sit within that and, and ensure, obviously, we're making sure that we're not biting our, our fingers off just for the sake of trying to be too accommodating to everybody. It's the, it is a business after all. So we've got advisors and different people. We're looking at different self-financing models, how we can generate revenue through many different streams within the studio. And we've got a long-term goal that involves a bigger studio space that then becomes more of a an all-encompassing, obviously like a, a, a much bigger educational and innovation hub yeah. where we continue to build on that with multiple studios within one larger lot. Let me ask a question. So on the people that actually join this community, the underdog crew, um, has you mentioned one has been very successful has launched um, you know his I think two first uh, music videos you said how, how are you finding the industry like is the industry super receptive to to actually taking on board new people uh, based on the training they get from you or how, how is that going on because there's quite a big film industry in the UK overall isn't it I mean so many films get filmed here and don't, you also have the massive I'm going to get the name wrong, but you have the, the, the studios where they film the Harry Potter and uh, Warner yeah. Bros. and Watford. Warner Bros. And everything around yeah, exactly. And it's, it's a huge film industry here in the UK. So how are you finding you know, their feedback? And, or have you had any feedback from them yet? Or? Not majorly. I mean, the, the bottom it's, it's still a very insular industry. You know, yeah. it's, it's, a lot of people say it's still very old fashioned. It's all about who you know. Mm -hmm. The internship system, you know, is the way it is. It's very much how. Um, it's it's changing as everything else does slowly. I think we're looking more toward the, the amount of money that's coming into Norwich now where they're building new studios in the Norwich area. Yeah. So we're looking more towards that region as part of our model. We have some good links in London. We yeah. have some good places that people can then go off and get some work experiences at. Nice. It, it's all a matter of... Um, it's It's been, funny enough, it's that paying it forward thing. It's been nicer to the... If you ring, if I was to ring up, say, for example, any production house and the, the young man or the young lady that answers the phone now will be a, a script reader or a studio runner in three to four years. So it's all about building contacts early on and, um, you know, using LinkedIn, you know, going to the right networking events, speaking to speaking to the right to be nice. Being in, trying to in, trying to inspire people, trying to trying to lead the way in something that feels so obviously right, 
Mm-hmm. Every industry these days needs to be inclusive. You know, we need to break down the stigma of mental health. And part of my little mission is if I can slightly part the waves with doing that, yeah. then that's that's a good bouncing point for me, you know, and then just basically um, pointing people in the right direction and helping them where I can. That's a, that's a very good uh, way to focus on it, pay it forward, help mm-hmm. others, really it's inspirational on that side. And the one question that comes to mind or sticking in the back of my mind is, how would you compare Colchester to other regions across the UK, such as Bristol, that's just, you know, investing very heavily into creative and film. You look at London, which is supposed to be the centre hub of BFI and other areas. Then you look at in, to Norwich and Colchester and other regions. And the main question would be, you know, creating your own community, creating your own ecosystem. Is it because Colchester is away from the hustle and bustle and kind of has its own little ecosystems away from everybody else? Are you finding it a bit easier to really grow and expand and get a bit of traction because there's less competition. Now, if you look at London, there's, there's hundreds of charities, there's loads of organisations that really specialise in the creative sectors. You probably yeah. walk around the corner and you've got 20, you walk around, <laughs> you know, walk to the right, you've got another 50 of them. But in Colchester, do you see it? there's a lot of competition? And secondly, would you say it's quite a competitive space or quite easy to grow and expand? Competition's a funny word. Um, opportunities for collaboration. Absolutely. You've got that, yeah. Signals, Signals Media has been running in Colchester for many, many years now, and they put themselves as the forefront of our media training hub, basically. We've also, we've got First Sight, this incredible value van, um, screening exhibition centre, some incredible Colchester Arts Centre, the Headgate Theatre, the Curzon. There's some amazing places in Colchester that I don't think... We've capitalised on the potential of saying, let's look at culture as a fully integrated media production hub yet. You know, and I think um, many have tried. I think there's obviously some ongoing stuff going on still. There are there are lots of incredible people doing some really good things. And I think sometimes it can be a very divisive industry, yeah. as with most, you know, and I think it's all we're all competing for our little niche outside London. And then obviously we've got Eyesight Media, which is a huge media production company just on the outskirts of the A12. You know, they do they do their own thing. And I think it's a matter of just trying to pull, pull everyone together, basically, in some way or another. And then, sorry about the little beeps on that end. And then, uh, again, it's, it's pulling everybody together. I think in an ideal situation, if someone said, let's say, give you a million pound in funding, how would you say you would grow, you would expand? Where would you want to be in two years' time if you had all the funding in the world or that one million pounds, you kind of grew and grew? Can I say, where do you want to see yourselves? I live that dream in my dreams. Now, basically, what, it, what that involves is it involves the Underdog Crew Studios being several beautiful woodland barn-type buildings in about five acres of woodland. And within that, we have a woodland filming environment where we also encompass wild living as a means to physical, emotional well-being, very much like they do in certain schools, and they call it forest schools. So as Mm. as a major part of our our media training, we'll also have bushcraft and kind of like back-to-nature, back-to-basics kind of workshops as well. 
where we'll be dealing a lot more in the mindfulness arena, where we'll be working with specialist mental health workers, where we can then open ourselves up as a much more, um, clin- not clinical, but a more recognised organisation where we're still doing everything that we want to do with the filmmaking arena, but we're opening up more into, we have a whole wild film set where, I mean, I'm, I'm massively into bushcraft and the benefits of, of unplugging and going to the woods and getting back to basics. You know, that's a, a huge, huge thing that I think the Scandinavian countries actually do as part of their curriculum. And it's amazing. And if we had all that funding tomorrow to be able to set that up, then I would, I would say, yep, I know several pieces of amazing woodland nearby. We'd have these two or three fantastic buildings and we would have a, a whole woodland film set together with our own studios and an ability to really take a complete holistic approach to education for lots of the people that it just doesn't really connect with. The, the underdogs that, I mean, the school exclusion centres, they must spend yeah. so much money every single year. And then obviously the knock-on effects of the the cost of mental health and looking after people. You know, it's the it's that critical age of twelve to sixteen, where it's uh, we've we've looked at our numbers and we know it, it, our area is prolific. We've got real problems with teen mental health. Mm-hmm. So I think if we could become that much bigger organisation that is so much more than just let's make some films, but still the ethos is always about creative arts. So we'd almost have like um like wood wood turning and um pottery workshops and stuff. So people can like pick their curriculum for the week, you know, and you kind of it becomes this exciting creative hub where where we share space with other creative enterprises. That's kind of the long term dream. No, it makes sense because <laughs> The classroom environment, if you think about it, it doesn't work for everyone, right? And for us to think as a society that we actually need to go through, you know, the traditional classroom environment to be successful, it's it's completely wrong. It just it doesn't work like that at all. And also for young kids, when when they go into the classroom in the twelfth, for example, obviously they've already been there for a couple of years, but they, they get into that you know, formative teenage years and they just don't resonate at all with that traditional model. It's it's quite a big struggle, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned your struggles. I know I have my own as well. But it, it's it's like, where do I fit into the world? Because I'm obviously not performing as it's expected of me in the classroom environment. But what am I supposed to do? Am I a complete failure? But actually, no. Maybe you should get out of the classroom. Maybe you should go out and do things that motivate you and that excite you. For me, it was, I remember being 14, it was about doing theater. And that made me true... Uh, high school, because I, I can manage that, you know, or secondary school, as you want to call it. But I'm... Um, being, you know, trying to be an actor for, for the first years of my teenage years made a huge difference because I had some motivation. You know, I wasn't doing that well at school. I was doing okay. But then the acting was doing very, very well. So um, is that something that, you know, kind of makes sense to you, which is, you know, just go out and do something, even if it's not, you know, related to school, just go out and do something that makes sense to you? I think the education system has a um, an obligation to recognize that, you're a creative or you're an academic and then or you're somewhere in between. And I, I can't comment on that because I went to school decades ago, but I'm still mm-hmm. seeing that resonate through my own children at school. Yeah. And when you'll hear schools say, oh, no, we, we don't have any bullying at this school. You know, the, the world is the same. Teenagers are the same. We've got different yeah. 
different motives now and different, you know, we we tend to be measured on how many Instagram followers we've got rather than, you know, what personality traits that we've got, you know, and it's a tough world to find your place in, but we're right. all amazing in our own way. And we're all shrouded with baggage that's been thrown at us from our upbringing, our life, our school experiences that shape, that shape us towards our feelings of self-worth. And I think that there should be a greater obligation but, the, but I think we're still we're still the school system is still teaching something that hasn't changed in what sixty years, a hundred years. Yeah. So I think um, obviously that that's the standard comprehensive school models. Obviously that's I know nothing really, but from my personal experience, I think there is another way. And you hear so many stories of these amazing people that had a terrible school life and went through so many challenges and and terrible stories of marginalization and bullying and oppression or whatever and they come out and they become the most incredible jobs that you wouldn't see that aren't the expected jobs you know like tattooists and and things like that and and artists and this whole spectrum of amazing creative jobs that just aren't really the focus of mainstream education or, or weren't when I was at school I'll keep adding that because I'm sure it's changed a lot but I just, I still feel that there is definitely a gap that the thousands of children are falling into, and there is a re- there has to be a reason for that. And I think part of that is, like I say, we just need to stop telling them. We need to start asking them. Stop telling yeah. them the way they need to be. Ask them, what do you need to be? So expanding on that, when when you're saying about asking the individuals and the school kids, it'd be quite interesting seeing what the school kids are like. From an Essex perspective, are they willing to take up film, creative art? Can, can you imagine some individuals from quite deprived areas walking around with lipstick, makeup, you know, wearing all, all these prosthetics and all that? Are they quite, a, you know, do they are they willing to participate? That'd be quite a good question. Is there a lot of people kind of queuing up to really look into it? Is this something of real interest? Because again, when you have a look at the, I guess, the masculine aspect, a couple of years ago, not a couple of years, probably ten years ago or so, it was kind of macho man i'm not doing that aspect but now when you really look into it it's, it's all changed more people kind of open up yeah. about their sexuality they're more free and the more you know it's free caring all that you know, i really like your interpretation of what we plan to do harry um <laughs> th- there is another aspect of saying like do you think we could take a group of teenage boys for example who are completely disenfranchised and say you know what let's make a little horror movie Let's make let's make a fake arm that we're going to pretend to rip off that it explodes in theatrical style, rather than let's slap on some lippy and go and take some cameras. <laughs> you know, so I think it's I think it's how you, I think it's, I think it's how you broach the subject really. I think, um, but I understand exactly what you mean. I th- I mean, I, I thankfully the modern world now is so much more inclusive with the LGBTQ plus community, the mental health situation, <clears throat> and non neurotypical. Just by the teenagers that we've had applying so so much, we've already that are signed up. We're encompassing that the whole range of exactly the kind of people that we wanted to attract. And I think, um, and I think yes, you know, I think culture is a it's a it's a funny one because it still feels like a small town, but it isn't. You know, it's an incredibly diverse community, incredibly diverse in every single angle and I think I I just 
you see these kids come on set with us for a couple of days. I mean, the music video that we did, the pirate zombie music video, some of these lads and lasses and oh, I say kids all the time, and I don't mean that in a derogatory yep. way, these teens. They, yeah. um, they were quite quiet, kind of hanging around the perimeter for the first mm -hmm. day or two. And then it, the pattern, it always emerges. They always end up getting fully invested in it and coming yeah. out the other end and going, oh, man, when can we do this again? So the only difference is, I think, is the, the level of reluctance and the time it takes to reach one of these kids. Yeah. And that's the, it, that's and that's just that's the individuals, you know, and that's but it's there's something magical about creativity and filmmaking and music and drama and drumming workshops and all that kind of thing that we're looking to do. It it, sh it unshackles us from conformity and I think it allows us to be and as long as you're in a, in a nurturing and um, progressive environment, I think, you know, that's what we need to thrive. And that's, that's, that's that really, I suppose. Let me, let me ask you a question on this, because you mentioned conformity. And I think a lot of the kids, and hopefully you're going to have some listening to this, really struggle with social media because it presents these, this image of perfect individuals, right? There's never anyone with any issues. Everyone has a perfect body. It's amazing all, all the time, but actually real life is not like that at all, right? And how, what would you say to a kid that's listed, you know, that's, that's, you know, spends their time on social media, what would you say to them? Just, you know, because it's not real life. And how do you tell them, hey, you know, just get started. You know, what advice would you give to them? Just, I mean, I, I love challenging people. So mm -hmm. just by that one question, it's not real life. If we had a group debate with, say, 10 teenagers sitting around the room, And I would say as a 51-year-old man, my pre my conception is it's not real life. Exactly. I would literally just sit back and I think we'd have the most incredible discussion that would evolve into a really creative debate, which would end up with a group decision of making a 15-minute documentary about modern <laughs> life through through social media. It really and it's that simple. It's um I think I've just broken that whole thing down and that's just what would happen. So <laughs> You know, what's interesting about the whole social media thing is that a lot of people nowadays, they grow in, you know, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, we had MTV or, you know, we had television and that would be the baseline or this is where we're getting our influences from. And then a generation later, not a generation, but a couple of years later, you know, Harry's time, you probably had the internet as well and a little bit of social media. Oh, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but we had, you know, inputs from different sources and that, Know, all all shaped our personality, right? But nowadays, I think kids are just bombarded bombarded with these algorithms all the time, and th what they see might not actually reflect the real world at all. I mean, if I start looking for something, some very very dark content on social media, all I'll get is that very very dark content, right? Or if I just look for fitness things, all I see is fitness things. And I need to step back because I'm a little bit older. I can step back and say, actually, you know what? This is not real life. But, you know, for young kids, they don't know the difference, do they? I think that's the big issue. It's, I mean, that's the whole global debate, isn't it? We're going back into the Orwellian, the Orwellian look now, aren't we, of um, what is reality? Mm -hmm. You know, it's um, maybe reality is the, the construct of the majority decision. If the majority are telling us that's reality, then us old people have to step back and go, okay, well, that's reality now. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so... um It's funny because at my age, we're the ones that are responsible for, for screwing up your lot future. You know? <laughs> and, um, 
we ruin the planet for the rest of you, you know. And um, I like to think I haven't been part of that because I'm a bit of an earth boy. Yeah. But um, I think it's, it, it, it's, it is what, what is reality. If this is yeah. the reality that every single young person is living, then it's real, you know. And yeah. then so we're, we're the ones that aren't living in reality. I'm sure if we had that round the table debate, I'm sure that we would hear somebody say, get real probably 50 times in the space of a 15 minute conversation yeah. or get with the times granddad and stuff like <laughs> that, you know, it is, and maybe it is what it is. It's, um, it's the cycles of, of technology and yeah. until technology and an EMP strike that the doom mongers say, it's never going to change, is it? Yeah. You know, that, let, let's hope. I mean, obviously the big debate now is with artificial intelligence and the, the fears of that, and I think that's a quite a worthy debate to have. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, we're we're going into a deep psychological <laughs> hole now. My little old broken yeah, brain yeah. is is far too capable of, of coming to grips with. <clears throat> but I think the answer is it's it's reality. If it's real to seventy percent of the of the universe, it's reality. Hmm. Um, Dom, if people want to um, want to reach out to you, how can you do that? Can you just you know plug in your company and what you do? Uh, channels that you want people to reach out to you uh, on? Firstly, I love Kinder Surprise, yeah, and Lint Chocolates. Yeah, you drop off any any local post office. Mm-hmm. Is, no, seriously, just um, underdogcrew.org. You, okay. can, you, can, you can Google me, DB Morgan Director, and it kind of links into my universe. I still find that's quite weird now that mm-hmm. I just Google myself and there I am, top of the page. And um, it keeps me humble because I've got... I've achieved nothing and I and I say this and maybe this is the maybe this is when you're asking originally about what my inspiration is and what my motivation is. I'm very hard on myself and I've I've had a victory cigar for 10 years sitting there ready to smoke. Okay. And I've been close a few times. Not that I have a code smoking because I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's very symbolic. And I um I feel a pat on the back for micro achievements is really good. But I'm always striving to to grow and grow because I have this thing with um maybe it's down to the um self-deprecation. I don't take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are clear goals that I need to get to. And I'm not too hard on myself because I do take time to to celebrate micro rewards. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think the trick is to always look on every failure as okay well that's good because we're one step close to success mm-hmm. acknowledge that feeling like you want to give up is a completely natural part of the process feeling overwhelmed and feeling that you're never going to achieve your goals is natural and i think as long as you know you've got a good idea and a really solid solid idea you just there's this horrible thing I use, and it's positivity, energy, and focus. If you mm-hmm. combine all those three things together with a realistic goal, you can't fail. Yeah, that's good advice right there. Thank you for that, Don. We, we really appreciate you coming on today's podcast, and it's you know, pretty much answered my final question there. A really, really good uh, <laughs> explanation on what, what, would, what advice would you give to someone doing an entrepreneurial journey in the, the charity sector? And I think you, you've really nailed it down. Never give up. Always, you know, work on your community aspects, always kind of build that and, and pay it forward. And it's really good advice. And we really appreciate you coming on this on the pool today. Yes. And thank you for your time. Mm-hmm.